You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. This show is available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, like Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Himalaya, whatever you like. Or if you don't want to be scrolling through your phone, maybe you're doing your dishes or whatever, you can ask your smart device like Alexa, Google Home, even Siri, play podcast Locked on Vikings. And today there's not a whole bunch to talk about. Of course, the Vikings still seem to be waiting on what they're going to do with Anthony Harris and how that situation is going to play out. And then I think a bunch of dominoes will fall and we'll talk about them at that time, though they did make one signing. So we do have a little bit of news here. They signed their first XFL player. I doubt that it is their last XFL player, but they got DeMarcus Gates, who played for the Houston Roughnecks. He played linebacker. His claim to fame, I guess, is coverage. He was a pretty good coverage linebacker, though his coverage statistics are skewed pretty heavily by a couple of really bad lapses against screen plays, one versus the Tampa Bay Vipers, and one that came against the St. Louis Battlehawks. He also had some issues tackling that kind of uh, lent themselves to this and some issues in run defense. He doesn't really seem like the most uh, physical linebacker. He's not exactly the like middle of the field thumper type, or at least that's not the performance you saw out of him in the XFL. But with regard to XFL signings, I think it's also important to kind of divorce them from your expectations for everything else that the team should be doing right now. And the team's kind of been sitting on their hands, I guess, while they wait for some other stuff behind the scenes to clear. Of course, I mean, they're working every day, right? They're they're not just like sitting there, kicking their feet up and watching free agents go, but they've been fairly quiet. And so it's easy to look at them, you know, the only news of the day being like they signed some rando from the XFL, who, let's be honest, may not make the team. None of the AAF guys did last year, so it's definitely would be like irresponsible to place any expectation on DeMarcus Gates. I don't hate his odds to make the team, but I I think he's definitely going to end up being a long shot when the full roster is constructed. And so something like super low octane like that, while, you know, meanwhile, you know, teams, the Panthers are getting uh, Robbie Anderson and Rashad Perriman goes to the New York Jets. And, you know, you see other players of, you know, bigger statures kind of flying around. Meanwhile, the Vikings are playing with their children's toys and signing XFL guys. Like, I get the frustration here, but I also want to assure you that the signing of DeMarcus Gates did not preclude them from going after Robbie Anderson or Rashad Perriman or, or insert guy you wanted them to go after here. I certainly have a pretty long list of them. The things they did were not mutually exclusive. They didn't have to choose, okay, today are we going to negotiate with Robbie Anderson or are we going to negotiate with DeMarcus Gates? If they wanted to pursue both, they absolutely could have. And the fact that they declined to say Robbie Anderson was a matter of they didn't think he was worth that much money. If they did, they would have made the cap space to do it. And honestly, they already have. They could have outbid the Panthers for Robbie Anderson. They chose not to. So to me, that's a declaration of we didn't think he was good enough to warrant that contract. And that's the decision that you should be evaluating. Agree with it or disagree with it, but that's the decision the Vikings made. They didn't pick an XFL guy over some bigger free agent. 
And in terms of the actual use of their time, time isn't as finite a resource, at least not as like defined a resource as like cap dollars or draft picks or whatever. And teams can typically afford to waste quite a bit of it when it comes to, you know, going and scouting CFL guys or whatever they've got. Uh, you know, they can hire as many scouts as they want. They can send a scout to just have his job only be just look at XFL guys and everybody else can handle the pro scouting stuff. And so I usually operate under the assumption that the Vikings have done their due diligence on a player like Robbie Anderson or a player like Steven Wisniewski, who has been on their roster. So of course they know about him, but you know, a guy like Greg Van Roten, and then they've made the decision to say, no, we will not get into the bidding war for, for that guy. We don't think that he's worth the cost that it would mean to us, which is especially inflated because we're in a bad cap situation. Like that is the, the logic that is being declared every time they let one of these free agents go sign with somebody else. And so what they actually do in terms of their time is not necessarily a declaration about the things that they didn't do. Now, when it comes to resource management, you know, I've, I've already complained about how like they've spent like $12 million on a fullback, a kicker and a punter, and they've, you know, let cornerbacks walk out the door and they might have to go find, you know, really, really cheap cornerback options. Even the cheapest options, like Darquise Denard and Mackenzie Alexander, who maybe he wouldn't have come back, but they didn't even give him an offer to decline. So I think that's kind of moot. But guys of that level, you know, guys like Steven Wisniewski, who are making, I think, like one or two million dollars, and they're signing backup quarterbacks instead. To me, that tells me that they could have. If they really wanted to, they could have figured out their backup quarterback situation elsewise, used one of their 19 late round picks on a backup quarterback, and gone and gotten a guard that they felt good about starting, and they didn't do that because they didn't want that player. And if that player turns out to be good on, you know, if Wisniewski is good on the Steelers, or if Perriman is good on the Jets, then that means the Vikings were wrong, and that's something that we kind to just have to file away. If they flame out, then that means the Vikings were right and I'll go ahead and take my L. But, you know, every time they make like a small signing like this, I see a lot of unrest of, oh my God, this is what they've been doing that whole time. And, and teams don't take this one at a time. They're working on everything simultaneously. This one just happened to get done first. And that doesn't really reflect the team's priorities at all. So enough about the XFL guys. We'll talk about any other XFL guys that come in and their roster odds and stuff. We'll talk about them all more during the summer too and we have time to kind of get get to know them a little more. But now I kind of want to transition in a big way in this podcast into draft mode. Uh, this is something, I mean, there's a lot of free agency left to go, right? So we're not done with the free agency at all. But because we're sitting and we're waiting on the Vikings to make a bunch of moves and who knows what they're going to do, I think this is a good time to like, introduce the 2020 draft. Uh, and of course, uh, in terms of uh, scheduling out this podcast, I intend to basically have wall-to-wall draft coverage uh, all the way up until the weekend of the draft, which right now, as it stands, is April 23rd to 25th. Uh, but, you know, of course, that's all subject to change with everything that's going on in the world with COVID-19 and stuff. And I hope y'all are staying safe and especially hope that you all are staying inside with all of that. But assuming the draft goes on as scheduled, even if it's some weird remote event and is aesthetically a lot different than what we're used to, we still got to cover who all those players are and the decisions that the Vikings are going to be faced with. And so I want to spend the rest of the podcast, unless something breaks in the middle of my recording, uh, I, I want to spend the rest of the podcast kind of introing the draft class and introing the draft content that you can expect from this podcast over the next month or so. So all of that is coming up. 
Okay, so let's talk a little bit about how we're going to kind of approach the draft and the methodology we're going to use on this show. And it's going to be the same as last year. So if you were around last year and you liked what uh, what came out of this podcast, then you're in luck because we're going to do the same kind of structure. And what that was, if you're new, welcome. Hi, thanks for sticking around in the offseason. So the goal of this podcast is not going to be to uh, you know convince you to agree with me on scouting reports of players. The goal is not going to be like it is on something like Locked On NFL Draft, where they're trying to evaluate the players players and, and kind of come up with a take on those players that ages well. The goal is really just going to be to get to know as many of them as possible from a Vikings perspective. I think that's the best thing that I can offer to you because I'm not a scout. This is a time of year when I'm going to be doing a lot of citing people who are smarter than me because I just don't think it would be responsible to the audience to uh, expect you to just believe what I say, uh, you know, with no backing evidence. So I'm going to cite a lot of people who are smarter than me, try to get some guests on from the Draft Network and elsewhere, people who, uh, who, cover the draft for a living and know more about these guys than I do. And what I want to do is have it so that if you listen to this podcast, you are familiar and have at least an opinion on as many draft prospects as I can get to. And part of that is going to be covering at least one prospect per day, one prospect per show. So every show will start off or maybe, you know, get to in the middle or something if there's news that's more important or whatever. But at at some point throughout every show, I'll get to at least one prospect. And this isn't necessarily going through all the big first round guys or going through just guys that I like. I will go over prospects that I don't like so much. I'll go over prospects that are, you know, projected to be sixth or seventh rounders that I think the Vikings should or shouldn't take a flyer on. I'll go over prospects that fill a need for the Vikings, like wide receivers and corners. I'll go over prospects that don't necessarily like linebackers and tight ends. I'll go over guys that, you know, the Vikings might target or might not, or guys that I want the the Vikings to target, or guys that are flying under the radar. I'll I'll try to keep it as diverse as possible, but really what I want and this is kind of a selfish thing for me, I want to be able to use this this podcast to get familiar with the draft as much as I possibly can so that when I'm watching it on the actual weekend that I can kind of have a stake at all times. I want to have a sixth or seventh round, you know, I want to have a few guys back there that I want the Vikings to get or that I don't want the Vikings to get so that when their pick is coming up, I kind of have a result that I'm rooting for. I think all too often when we watch the draft, you know, we kind of tune out after the first couple of rounds and go, hey, you know, fifth round pick, who's this Stefan Diggs guy? That was definitely me in 2015. I was like, oh, they picked a wide receiver that might not make the team. Okay, whatever. And, and, you know, look at how wrong I was. And I think that is the kind of thing that I want to avoid. You know, I want to be excited when they pick somebody that you otherwise have never heard of and would have to go look up. And so I'm trying to basically cover as many guys as I can. So prospect today will be one way of doing that. I'll just pick a guy every day. We'll talk about him for five or six minutes and then get into whatever the rest of the show is. And the other way that I'm going to do this is by continuing Mock Draft Monday. I kind of fell away from Mock Draft Monday as free agency kicked up because there was always stuff to cover, Uh, but we're going to get back into it, barring uh, if they do a whole bunch of stuff over the weekend, we'll we'll do it uh, the week after. But otherwise, next Monday will be the first Mock Draft Monday. And what'll be different is so far, because I haven't really known anything about the draft class, I've just been using Mock Drafts that guys at the Draft Network or guys from Locked On NFL Draft and kind of going over who they gave the Vikings in their various like league-wide mock drafts. But this time, we're going to do our own thing. We are going to fire up uh, TDN, mock the mock draft machine. I've got trades set up. I've even been doing a couple on Twitter. Uh, so do go follow t- uh, me on Twitter at, at LukeBronNFL if you want to participate. I've been doing, I'm calling quarantine mocks. Uh, it's an idea that I stole from uh, Brian Peacock over at Locked On 49ers. He's been doing these where he basically pu- pulls up a, a Twitter poll for every 
Corey Pickens is, okay, who do you guys want to take? And so I've been doing some like that. We'll probably do some like that in the uh, the Mock Draft Mondays. However, here's the twist with Mock Draft Monday. And this worked out great last time because it really forced me to get to know a lot more players and to consider guys that I, I really had to think about and like broaden my horizons. I will not be allowed to pick somebody in a Mock Draft Monday that I've picked in a previous Mock Draft Monday. Now, Mock Draft Monday probably won't be the only mock drafting that I do over the course of covering the draft. We might do one where we do a whole bunch of mock drafts and like kind of look at the big picture of like the trends and stuff that we see and maybe try to do something like that. But in terms of the actual Mock Draft Monday episodes, I'll keep a log of who I've picked and I'll make sure that there are no duplicates anywhere around that. That'll force us to kind of get to know new prospects. By the end of it, it becomes a pretty bad simulation of like what a draft would be because all the good players that are on the board, you aren't allowed to pick anyways. Uh, you know, the guys that fall to you every time that you're higher on than the board or whatever. Uh, but I, I don't think that's really the goal of a mock draft Monday. I think the goal will be to kind of get to know the most prospects and to use it as a kind of excuse to go look into somebody that you previously didn't consider, but I don't know, you know, everybody else is already either uh, taken or I can't take them because they're a duplicate. It becomes its own unique kind of fun challenge. And while we're not necessarily trying to predict what the Vikings will do or predict how it'll turn out, it gives us a great excuse to learn about more guys. And I think that's really priority A for this particular show. So that's what you can look forward to uh, at least starting next Monday, if not the Monday after that depending on how the news cycle goes for the end of free agency here. And then every Monday all the way up till the draft, we will continue to do Mock Draft Monday. And I might even get you guys involved as well and maybe do some of these quarantine style where we're all sitting on our computers anyway, so let's all do a Mock Draft together. So go follow at Luke Braun NFL and at Locked On Vikings if you want to get involved with that. And for the rest of draft coverage, it's going to be kind of a smattering. I don't really need to talk a ton about draft philosophy, especially considering the state of the roster right now, and this is subject to change, but, you know, the old debates about do you draft for need or do you draft the best player available? You know, this huge dichotomy is like not particularly relevant to the Vikings because it's super likely that the best player available addresses a need. They have a ton of needs. It's probably going to be a tackle, a wide receiver or a cornerback. Maybe it's going to be a running back like Jonathan Taylor or something crazy like that. And then they wouldn't want to do it. But like, I think we can all agree that like the best available player that addresses a position of need is probably just the best available player. And the Vikings won't have to think too hard about that kind of thing. But there's a lot of other stuff in terms of draft philosophy, like, you know, talent cliffs and how to maneuver yourself around. And do you trade up or do you trade down? Or, you know, what do the analytics say about that? How do you navigate an ever more specifically quantified uh, environment of like athleticism and testing in the combine? There are no pro days this year. That's completely insane. It's going to be very difficult to evaluate some players, especially ones who went to the combine and said, no, you know, I'm not going to do the three cone yet. I'm going to do it at my pro day, which a lot of players do not because they have something to hide, but because, hey, you know, I just kind of wanted to only train for the 40 for the combine and run a good 40 at the combine. And then I'll pick up training on everything else when it comes to the pro day and, and you know, kind of strategize that way. You know, prospects tend to do those kinds of things very strategically. So having no pro day is going to be really, really interesting. And, and we'll probably have to talk a lot about how we're kind of navigating, evaluating players in a situation where you have like significantly less information on them. And a lot of times that's a coach's only chance to like work on the field with a player and go, you know, coach them up and see how they respond to that kind of stuff and like test that particular relationship. And then we can kind of talk about, you know, positions of need and how different classes like shape out. You know, we can just have a whole day dedicated to the wide receiver class and a whole day dedicated to all the offensive tackles and ranking them and all that stuff. And, you know, kind of do some more classic draft stuff as well as, of course, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pepper in some of the weird economics crap that I always do because I love it. And uh, you've got to deal with that. 
Uh, so uh, I actually am going to spend the rest of the show now talking about the 2020 class itself and talking about how it's structured in a very overarching way. We won't, we won't get into too many individual prospects for the rest of the day here. We'll have plenty of time for all that. But, uh, you know, just kind of talking about like the landscape of the draft. So that is coming up for the rest of the show. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the 2020 class, because I think the landscape of the draft is something that is like matters a lot more than we ever give it credit for. You know, a lot of people I've gotten this question like every single day somebody has either asked me uh, on Twitter or messaged me or sent some sort of correspondence saying, hey, who do you think the Vikings are going to take in the first round? Or what position do you think they're going to take in the first round? Or some form of that question. What should they prioritize? Should they get a tackle? Should they get a corner? Now they have two first round picks. Should they get both? Should they focus on uh, maybe a wide receiver now? And all of those questions, I think, are answered by looking at the draft as a kind of landscape rather than like a super linear thing. Because questions like that, hey, you know, should they get a corner or should they get a tackle? Kind of presupposes that you would have equal options at corner or tackle. If you have a, a cornerback and a tackle that you're about as high on, say, you know, you have Jeff Gladney and Josh Jones. I actually have no idea if I'll be as high on those two guys when I look deeper into them, but let's just say that you're exactly even on Jeff Gladney and Josh Jones. Who do you take? Now that becomes a question of philosophy, right? Do I want a, a tackle? Do I want a corner? What's more important? Pass blocking or coverage, blah, blah, blah. But Practically, when that decision actually comes up for teams, whether it's the Vikings or somebody higher or lower than them, the decision to take, you know, my favorite corner or my favorite tackle, you're probably going to be higher on one guy than the other. There will probably be somebody on the board on whom you are the highest of everybody left. And you, usually teams will just like take that guy unless it's like a long snapper or something crazy, or it's something that they don't need in the short term or long term, you know, something like the, the Texans, they're not going to draft a quarterback in the first first round or the Chiefs even if someone really good falls there. And further, it's really there's like lo really low odds that the needs that a given team has are going to produce similarly talented players at the same time and that that same time will be when your team happens to pick. That's a lot of like random things that would all kind of have to coincide for this to be too relevant a uh, discussion. And I, I think on a bigger level that, you know, you probably should have some preferences, right? You shouldn't pick a kicker over your quarterback. But I think on the whole, like in the actual granular level of, hey, you know, we've got four players that we like to take here right now. Which one are we going to take? I don't think you're going to go, all right, well, you know, corner's more important, so I'll just take the corner indiscriminately. You're going to take the guy that you're highest on, and that leads me to landscaping out this draft, because there are some kind of talent clusters and talent cliffs that are worth navigating if you want to exit the draft with, like, maximum utility. For example, the wide receiver market. One that, much to my chagrin, my Vikings are going to be involved in. And uh, this take is subject to change, but it seems to me right now that they're kind of a big three at the wide receiver position in uh, Ruggs, Jerry Judy, and CeeDee Lamb. Those are the three guys that everybody's kind of saying are like the top wide receivers in the class. And those guys, at least in the mock drafts that I've seen so far, seem to be going around the 11, 12, 13, 14 range. Uh, the Jets just solved a big wide receiver problem, so they probably won't be mocked any, you know, first round receivers anymore now that they have Robbie Anderson, but you still have like the Bucks around there, the Raiders and the 49ers, all of them have needs at the wide receiver position, and by that point, those guys become good value, so you're like looking at this very probable run on wide receivers at the 11, 12, 13 range, and that means that if the Vikings want access to those guys, they're going to have to find a way to trade up in the draft and get above them. 
maybe that's worth it, maybe that's not. And in this particular case with the wide receiver draft, it depends on who else is in the class, right? This year, I don't think it's worth it at all because you have other guys in the late first round, early second round, maybe even late second round that seem to be of good enough value that they're going to totally be worth the first round pick. And you could just kind of stand pat and pick Brandon Ayuk or Denzel Mims or T Higgins or pick your guy, right? And I don't know a lot about these guys, so I don't know where my preference lies yet. But those guys seem to be, at least where I see them going in mock drafts, seem to be late round, first round, early second round guys. And so you can just stand and Pat pick one of those guys and the difference between one of those guys as a quote-unquote consolation prize and somebody like Jerry Judy is probably not big enough to warrant spending a bunch of draft capital to trade up to like the 10th overall pick and that's what I mean by the talent landscape the kind of way of thinking where you say, okay, where are the tiers of talent, right? Because there's like always going to be a drop-off. You don't have an exactly perfect linear talent evaluation where the best wide receiver is a, a 98 and the next best one is a 95 and the next best one is a 92 and then an 89 and blah, blah, blah. And they just go down exactly the same every time. That's not ever really how it works. There's always going to be kind of a cluster of guys that are about as good as each other and then a drop-off and then another cluster and, you know, then another guy that's kind of on his own and then another cluster, and, you know, and it kind of goes in a more like random sense. And if you can get yourself up into that cluster, the real way to generate value here is to be, you know, in a, a situation where there are four picks to go and I like four wide receivers. I'll take any of these four, whichever one falls to me, I'm good. And you know, I would have taken any of these guys at 30, but I pick at 34 and I'll get a guy that I would have picked at 30 at 34. That's value. That's how you generate value in, in a structured auction scenario, which is what the draft is. It's an auction with a lot of rules, right? And whoever is, you know, most willing to spend the highest capital, whoever has the most money and is willing to spend the most money, except in this case, money is draft picks. That's who gets the player. Everyone's willing to spend it all on Joe Burrow, but the Cincinnati Bengals have the most. They have the first round pick, so they're going to get Joe Burrow. That's the way I like to look at these things. And if you look at the actual economic properties of auction markets, I'll probably do a whole episode on this. I think I did this last year too. I'll probably just do it again. But if you look at the economic properties of auction markets, it actually leads to some pretty interesting insights about how the draft behaves and makes the draft a little more predictable than we usually think of it as. An interesting thing to get into later. But the point is, if you navigate the draft as uh, a series of clusters and cliffs versus a kind of linear uh, abstraction, then you're going to have a, a lot more success. So with this one, I think that the clusters and cliffs, there's the wide receiver thing I talked about, right? Where there's this kind of cluster of people that are probably out of reach for the Vikings, and then a huge cluster of people that are very comfortably within reach of the Vikings that they could go get. If they want to spend the 22nd overall pick that they got for Stefan Diggs to go uh, draft Denzel Mims or Brandon Ayuk or whoever you like in the first round, then I think that, you know, you then have this very easy like one-to-one -one comparison, which probably isn't fair to the player but that's a strategy that you could take and probably end up with decent value for that 22nd overall pick. There's also a, an interesting round of guys in the third round that I'll probably want to talk about someday that you could kind of get with the 89th pick. If you end up going, you know, corner, tackle, and then picking up like an edge rusher with your first three picks, and then at, at 89, you're sitting there going, oh my God, we need a wide receiver. There is an interesting cluster of guys that tend to be available there, or you could even wait to the fourth round and get Tyler Johnson, which just about every Minnesota Vikings mock drafter has been been doing because, of course, you know, we all watched the Gophers and we all know who Tyler Johnson is. So he's going to be the only guy we recognize in the fourth round. We're going to pick him. That's again, I'm not going to be allowed to do that in all but one of the mock draft Mondays. So that'll get a little more interesting. 
Elsewhere, I think that there's a really good cluster of cornerbacks that are going in kind of the mid-first round. So if you wanted to use the bevy of draft capital that the Vikings have, then you could potentially trade up, you know, from 22 to pick like 16 or 17, and then you would have a really good pick of guys like Christian Fulton and Jeff Gladney. They tend to be available around there, but they don't tend to fall to picks 22 or 25. So you'd kind of have to trade up if you wanted to get your, you know, your good value at a cornerback, or then you trade back or simply wait, and you get access to guys like Bryce Hall or Damon Arnett out of Ohio State, who tend to be guys that are available there, and they have a flaw here or there, uh, but they still represent better value. I think that drafting a corner in the top parts of the second round is going to be a little bit more difficult just because there tends to be this like talent drop off where once all the first round corners are snapped up, nobody really wants to touch one until the end of the second round. That's at least the way that it looks like to me on a very like preliminary uh, starting glance. The tackle market also is a lot like the wide receiver market, where there is this like glut of guys that are probably out of reach of the Vikings, like Jedrick Willis and Mackie Becton and Andrew Thomas, that like rarely fall to the Vikings in the mock drafts that I've seen. They're usually all snapped up by like pick 15, like they're not getting even close. And after those guys are snapped up, if you don't want to go with somebody like Josh Jones, who looks like he might fall to the later parts of the first round because he's such a specific scheme fit, if you don't run a zone scheme, he like won't work out because he has some strength issues, that's never been a problem for the Vikings, and so they would be more than happy to pick him with their first round pick because those issues just won't come up in the scheme that they run, but he'll fall past other teams that would have to deal with it more than the Vikings do. So maybe you want to take that value, or you can wait till the second round or even the third round, and there are a lot of raw but very athletic tackles that tend to be uh, more popular than maybe they should. This is the Brian O'Neill thing that they did in 2018. This happened with like Colton Miller that year. This happened with, I think Caleb McGarry had something similar last year. I can't remember about his athleticism. Uh, but this year it's guys like Ezra Cleveland and Prince Tega Winogo that are really raw and not ready to start right away, but they have high ceilings and the essential idea is to try to replicate a Tyron Smith situation. That's what the Cowboys pulled off with him and they have one of the best tack left tackles in the league. There's a lot more I could talk about, you know, other markets, safety and, uh, you know, offensive guard and all that stuff, but we'll have lots of time to get to all of that. And so now I'm going to wrap up this episode of Locked on Vikings. So thank you guys so much for listening and hanging out. I'll see you all tomorrow. Hopefully there's some news to talk about. If not, we'll continue with some draft stuff. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. This show is available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts or just ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. I'll see you all tomorrow. And I as always, Skull.